lots of things are better together. Hockey, food, golf, filling out mock drafts leading up to the actual draft in April, filling out March Madness brackets that are going to be dumpster fires within the first weekend of the tournament here. But if you really want to take things to the next level, drink some Labatt Blue Lights with your friends and live life to the power of we. Always enjoy responsibly. Beer, Labatt USA, Buffalo, New York. Whether you're hosting game day or movie night, DiGiorno knows that planning a wash party on a budget isn't easy. You need the perfect setting, the perfect squad, and the perfect eats. Luckily, you're a game time mastermind, and you know that grabbing DiGiorno Classic Crust Pizza can bring home a dub because it's packed with half a pound of cheese, sauce, and other toppings and comes at an incredible price. Make the game-winning call and grab a DiGiorno Classic Crust Pizza from the grocery store today. It's not delivery, it's DiGiorno. This episode is brought to you by Hyperice, the leader in advanced warm-up and recovery technology. They have tons of innovative products, like Venom-heated wearables to help soothe sore back muscles, Normatec compression boots to speed up recovery and increase circulation, and Hypervolt massage guns to improve mobility. Loved by athletes like Naomi Osaka and Erling Holland. Try them yourself. Get 10% off your order with the code MOVE at hyperrice.com. Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Vyadaris, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. You're listening to DraftKings Network. All right, as we mentioned off the top of the show here, no, you are not late for that thing. No, your appointment is still tomorrow. But yes, today is now officially going to operate as a Wilder Wednesday spiritually as our friend Charlotte Wilder, co-host of Oddball with Amin El Hassan, joining us now here on a Tuesday. Charlotte, what's going on, buddy? Hi, guys. Thank you so much for adjusting and making my life easier by having me on this Tuesday. I'm sorry to everybody at home who now thinks it's Wednesday. You actually do have four more days of work, not three. But, you know, we're going to make we're going to get through it together. Right. There would be some people that would be happy to say, oh, my God, it's Wednesday already. And then realize, no, that's why it. Yeah, that's okay. That's okay because think about it, it the way it worked out. You get to come on today when. We had some unbelievable scoring last night in the NBA. I mean, with Joel Embiid throwing up 70, Cat uh, throwing up 62, and even Kevin Durant, 43, uh, in their win over Chicago. But uh, it all starts, Charlotte, with what Joel Embiid did. I mean, scoring 70, they actually won the game, unlike Minnesota and, and Carl Anthony yeah. Towns, which we'll get to. But but this guy just keeps impressing us more and more. But uh, it's still the butt until he gets the ring on his finger. Well, I couldn't believe it because, you know, I I didn't have the game on uh, for the first half. And then my husband was like, "Uh, Joel is 56 at the or 56 at the third and it's the third quarter. And I was like, sorry, what? Um, So, you know, of course, immediately turned the game on and then he couldn't miss. You know, it's like they're for for. I think we've gotten so used to centers who can score like this. Um, 
but to see it happen and he's just doesn't miss they kept feeding him and he kept hitting and to get to that 70 point mark which no one had done as a sixter uh Tom Ziller, who writes Good Morning, It's Basketball, uh, the newsletter, who's uh, one of my favorite newsletters on Substack. Go follow it. Uh, he had one of the greatest titles he's ever had, which was the 76er. And I was like, oh. Oh, okay. man. Well, it's a, well what, what more could I possibly add to this conversation than Tom? It's a, it's a beautiful pun to kind of set the table for this you're absolutely right and that newsletter is fantastic everyone should go check that out it is a wonderful way to start to your day uh be good to each other um yes charlotte i I thought it was interesting thinking about the eventuality from last night that is possible because this happening for the 76ers who are always going to be in contention for the east as long as Joel Embiid is there and are Mm -hmm. seen as that team that kind of like denver last year needed to take that next step would this be the year especially given the tear that joel has been on as of late would this be finally the year where they could get over the hump like that and staring on the other side at Carl Anthony Towns, albeit in a losing effort, who scores 62 points for the Timberwolves, who are first place in the Western Conference, and so are seen as real contenders now. The Rudy Gobert trade seems to actually be taking teeth. This idea that we could get and have been getting as of late in the playoffs a lot more great big man matchups in a day and age where it seemed like for a while we were skewing so far away from that. Overall, is that something that in your mind is good? Because I do feel like the NBA is a place where we've always historically kind of lionized big men. And it's kind of cool to see a new generation of them with a new skill set starting to really dominate this league the way they have in the last five to 10 years. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that the thing is, these are big men who can, who can hit threes. But I think when we were talking about Steph and revolutionizing the game and, you know, Daryl Morey with his analytics and then Sam Hinkie, trust the process, like all of that stuff feels so long ago because now you have guys who are this big and are hitting threes at rates that just didn't, I, I don't know if it seemed possible years ago for anybody, let alone the big men. And so I think it's extremely cool. You know, Vincent Goodwill at Yahoo Sports wrote about how, um, you know, Carl Anthony Towns and Joel on the same night, both having over 60 point games just shows, you know, what a new era of the NBA we're in. And I, I mean, I also think something funny to me that is not to diminish what Joel did, but he did it against the Spurs who are very, very bad. And then Carl Anthony Towns <laughs> lost. So I do think that there are some sort of funny little, um, not caveats, but, uh, things that probably it would be great if it were against like the greatest team in the league and both of them won both times. Um, but that's not always how this works. So yeah, I I think it's great. You know, I love watching the NBA today. And I think that a lot of people get really caught up in like, what does it mean? Is it big men? Is it threes? Is it small ball? Is it like blah, 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 blah. And it's like, to me, is it fun to watch? Like, do you like watching it is what I come down to over and over again. I think I think the same conversations are sometimes had in the NFL. I think across sports leagues, you're just seeing a lot more offense. And to me, that's really fun. I I don't, you know, sure, you love a defensive stop, and it's fun to watch that too, but I don't think it's something to, like, 
wring our hands over or say, well, are they scoring too much? Is this too much of a good thing? It, it always seems to me that it's an individual preference. And if you like what's going on, then yes, I think it's great. I think it's one of those things where there's always a fine line. Like if the game started to look like the NBA All-Star games the years past, right. we would probably start to see the meter going the other way. But Dad, Charlotte's right. It's the how this happens. And Joel Embiid is a good micro example of that last night where the things that he can do at that size as a scorer, as a passer, from close, from distance, all of them seem like they would have been impossible for so many people so long ago. And now we have seen in this era that we've talked about ushered in, big bodies adjust. And every sport is about how you sort of make use of the resources around. And the fact that the NBA now has this army of seven foot monsters who can stretch the floor, who can ball handle, who are elite passers. It's created my favorite thing in sports, which is people that are so physically inaccessible to me. I watch sports because I want to see freaks of nature do things that I could never even have dreamed of. And the NBA has got that in droves right now at a pivotal juncture for the league. Well, you know, being the elder statesman of this group here, uh, I was watching the NBA way, way back in the day when it was, you know, those fives just went down in the paint, you know, got the ball, tried to back it in, and you had be uh, big men battles. That was it. So we've evolved, much like the quarterback in college that would go to the NFL a while ago, and no matter what they did in college, it was like, forget all that. You're in the NFL now. You're playing quarterback this way. To now where you have these unbelievably gifted quarterbacks and the pros are saying, huh, why don't we use their ability? So we've saw, I think we've seen that evolve with the big men, Charlotte, where they're mm -hmm. not normally it was you were big, get down in the paint. That's where you play. It's evolved to, okay, now they're better athletes. Let's see what happens when we spread them out on the floor. And that, I think that's, without question, been one of the biggest changes in the games. We're used to great athletes on the floor. I've always said I think NBA players are the best athletes in the world. And we're used to great, great athletes, but now we're seeing them at seven foot and above being great athletes where you just you really can't appreciate it unless you're – really at a game and you see in front of you how big these people are and how well they move. I couldn't agree more. I, I think Mike, to your point, yes, obviously we still want defense. Um, but I, I think we do have players who, I mean, the fact that Draymond Green, for example, has become such a household name and the fact that he has for all of his antics and, you know, the occasional choking somebody out on the court, uh, Speaking of the Timberwolves, I do think that he has proved that there is still a place in this league for players to be lionized because of the defense that they play. And I think also with the big men, yes, uh, senior, I, I totally see what you're saying of, of how the game has shifted. I still think, though, that we see that like. Uh, don't, when you picture Nikola Jokic, a lot of times I picture him like backing up into the paint last night with Joel. A lot of his shots were mid range excuse me, my brain just decided to like stop mid-sentence with my mouth. <laughs> a lot of the shots that we saw last night from Joel were mid-range jumpers. Um, and he was backing up and he's still contesting shots on the other side. So I, I don't think it's completely, it hasn't tipped over in, in that direction yet. Um, I do think though it's sort of telling that a guy like Victor Wembanyama, who Joel was playing against last night after the game, someone stopped him 
and he when he heard what both uh Embiid and Cat had done he was like and any given night guys can score 50 60 70 80 and I think it's also you know this is 18 years to the day last night that Kobe Bryant had his 81 point game and and there's something um that in that time frame does sort of stop you in your tracks and you say, oh, this is different. This is different now. And um, a guy like Wembenyama is perhaps the most freakish, um, and I mean that as a compliment, uh, the, yes. the most athletically out of this world specimen that you could see this from. He obviously doesn't play in a good team. He hasn't probably had the chance to show fully what he can do, but even the fact that we're showing highlights of this guy on a team that nobody cares about right now who who can block a shot and hit a three from practically the logo is is like, oh, something changed. I don't know if everybody got taller and we have better development programs for tall <laughs> people, but like... <laughs> It's I mean, Mike, it's sort of it's it's like that to me is what I delight in. You know what you were saying about these watching something for something you can't do or you can't even fathom. Sometimes after I watch the NBA, I'll go and watch highlights of college or I'll even watch highlights of high school games because I just oh, yeah. need to show myself how not normal this is, how absurd the ability is, because otherwise you get used to it and you see someone standing next to Joel and you think, well, he's short and he's like six, seven, you know? So yeah. I, it, it's important to get that context too, to see what these guys are doing, how absolutely absurd it is. Yeah, I cannot stress enough. Charlotte is absolutely right. If you want a full appreciation for what you're seeing skill-wise and ability-wise at the pro level, just watch the college sport version of whatever you're watching there. As someone who covers yeah. college football and then snaps into the NFL every weekend, it's like a different sport, especially at so many key positions. And so much of what you talked about there, Charlotte, because I agree with you, the cool part about Joel Embiid is he can do everything. He gives you that old school stuff, but he can also flex out and ball handle and hit threes mm -hmm. on occasion, even if that wasn't a huge part of his output last night and in any sport right now we're seeing a premium paid on optionality it's why in the nfl you're seeing some more teams flex in tight again the use of a lot of the tight end personnel groups in the shanahan mcveigh trees is because you've got to be able to show defenses a lot of options and mm -hmm. give them that conflict that you're trying to create down in, down out, or play in, play out in the NBA. It's why on the other side, it makes Carl Anthony Towns always such an interesting discussion point in the NBA because Carl Anthony Towns is special and unique in his own way, but like a very large plant that's in bloom, he sometimes can topple over and they basically had to bring in Rudy Gobert to be the plant stick that you see in a garden that like a tall cactus yeah. is tied to so it can stay upright. Rudy Gobert is there to do the defense. He's there to do the tough stuff on the block. And then you allow Carl Anthony Towns to go out there and be as he has professed himself in his own mind, the best shooting big man in NBA history. So he doesn't have to do a lot of that stuff. And so Carl always is going to fight an interesting battle because he says some very funny things like that when he goes on podcasts, but it is oh funny. God how they yeah. basically brought in Rudy to say, you're going to do the, they outsourced old big man stuff. They said, Rudy, you got all that. Carl, you can do the fun stuff that you clearly like doing way more. And now they've gotten to this point where it somehow actually works. That's so true. That's so funny. Rudy is like the, um, he, he's also like the guy on a film set that they bring in to like, can you stand on this actor's mark while we get the shot all set up and make sure that, 
everything looks right and good so that the other guy doesn't have to stand here. You know, it's like the, there's this some some sort of and at the same he's time, a stunt like he double. he's yeah. a stunt double. Rudy Gobert might be a stunt double. And <laughs> and he also has not. I think a lot of people in Utah would be like, yeah, OK, well, see what happens when you actually need him to go off a cliff for you or something. Um, but I think somehow it's strangely working in Minnesota. But last night against the Hornets, I had there was this moment where because we had talked on oddball last week about I was like, look, the, the Timberwolves are legit. Like, I know that I think a lot of the stuff with fans reactions to the Thunder and the Timberwolves, particularly if you're not a hardcore NBA fan, if you've been watching the NFL and then as that season winds down, as there are fewer games, you go over to the NBA, you'd be like, oh, I'm sorry, what? Like the the Thunder and, and the Timberwolves are two of the best teams in the league. And I don't think it's that we don't take them seriously or that they're not for real. I think it's that it takes probably a full cycle and playoff appearances for fans to get into their heads that these teams are good, that this is a real contender. I think you need fans' minds are sort of a year behind what is actually happening now. And so to watch the Wolves last night was the first time where I was like, mm. I got a little worried because at the end of the game, Carl has 60 points and at the end of the game, he gets fouled. The refs don't call it. I thought it was a foul. He's complaining as as Leaky Black on the Hornets goes to the foul the free throw line. But I was like, oh man, if if it's a if it comes down to a foul on a night where this guy has 60 against the Hornets, something about that made me. And I know it's just one game, and I know that you can't extrapolate further than that. But there was a, a thought of like, okay, maybe maybe they maybe something might not be fully complete there. Well, that, that, that's what we do with teams we're not used to seeing at the top, right? Is can they stay at the top? Like we're, we're by games, I know we call the, the, uh, the All-Star Weekend the halfway point. We're past the halfway point, right? I mean, from a game standpoint, and Minnesota and OKC are still there. Uh, they're still at the top. And I think, Mike, that's hard for us to fathom. We, we see that sometimes early in the season, and then we see them fall off, and we're like, well, they can't hold that. We're used to seeing Boston there, Milwaukee there, Philadelphia there, you know, uh, Denver up there now uh, in, in the West. And I even it took a while, I think, for them until they closed the deal finally. Now I don't know what the buy-in is with Minnesota and Oklahoma City as far as can they do this throughout the regular season and then make an imprint in the postseason. Dad, I think you're exactly right. And Denver was the team I originally thought of, but I think you could even lump in the Toronto Raptors from years ago in LeBron James's Eastern Conference who were perennially near the top or the one seed mm -hmm. there because we've so devalued the NBA's regular season based on what we've seen in terms of postseason results that a lot of times we looked at that. Denver for a long time elicited an eye roll when they'd spend multiple seasons at number one, but then we'd watch Nikola Jokic win an MVP and get ousted pretty early in the playoffs. And it took a long time for that to build up for the Raptors. It took them acquiring Kawhi Leonard and LeBron James leaving the Eastern conference for all that to come together. But I think you're absolutely right. And Charlotte, I would agree where 
it's twofold. One, it takes fans a while to catch up because we're used to, especially in the NBA, because injury is so much less of a factor than the NFL. Talent can hold over years for a lot longer. It's easier to buy in to the way a team's constructed because we know what the parts are capable of. But I mm -hmm. do think it's also until we see you do it in the postseason because Stu Gotts and others have helped incept that into everybody's brain. But even players structure their season like that. We see teams that have been to and know they're going to make deep postseason runs are only going to expend so much meaningful effort during the regular season that a team like Minnesota, who clearly with their head coach, who was miserable watching that game go on the other night, um, oh as, uh, as uh, <laughs> watching them there, calling it a disgusting branded defensive basketball, they are clearly approaching the regular season different than a lot of their counterparts. Yeah, I also think that this year, I don't know if it's because of the TV deal. I don't know if the load management stuff the NBA has trying to been trying to implant, impart, whatever, uh, has been working. <laughs> I think that we've seen a lot more star players more reg regularly. I think that I've seen I've seen some pretty hard fought games in the regular season, and it's been really fun. And uh, I I hope that people see that as you know. It, Sure, you could say the regular season doesn't matter. How do you get a, how how do you get to be a one seed? Like that, you know, that that's when it matters. And so I think it'll be very interesting going into this these playoffs this year to see that play in tournament shape up because that's sort of where it's like, okay, are you for real? Can you do it? It is interesting to consider it that way, Charlotte, because you are right. And, and I think between the tournament, which we talked about, the in-season tournament being a huge success, and you're right, we saw a player like Kawhi Leonard play so much more through the first half of the season than we've traditionally been used to. And I don't think it's all correlation causation necessarily, but coming off a summer where we saw Major League Baseball's rule changes with the pitch clock absolutely work and become a net positive for the sport. The NBA turned around, made some changes of its own, and so far there do seem to be at least anecdotally positive returns on their investment. It's the most wonderful time of the year. March Madness, getting ready to go in college basketball. And we got some of the best stars in the sport finally trying to close the deal. Zach Eady at Purdue trying to see if he can cap off an historic career with a championship, much like his counterpart on the women's side and Caitlin Clark, who's been one of the biggest names in sports this entire year and is looking to see if she can snag that elusive championship that's eluded her during her career. Regardless of who makes it to that final game of the tourney, though, one thing's for certain. It's going to take the most talented people like the two I just mentioned working together to help these teams play at a high level. If you're hiring, you want the most talented people on your team to help your business go to the next level. How do you find them? ZipRecruiter. And right now, you can try ZipRecruiter for free at ZipRecruiter.com slash Gojo. ZipRecruiter uses matching technology to score excellent candidates for your job. Immediately after you post your job, ZipRecruiter's powerful technology starts showing you qualified people for it. And once you review your list of the most qualified candidates for your job, you can easily invite your top choices to apply, so they're more likely to apply sooner. Pick ZipRecruiter to help you build a winning team. See why four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate within the first day. Just go to this exclusive web address right now to try ZipRecruiter for free, ZipRecruiter.com slash Gojo. Again, that's ZipRecruiter.com slash Gojo. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. 
Welcome back to Gojo and Golik. Okay, Tom Brady, Rob Kronkowski, they are iconic. Need I say more? They held the record for most postseason touchdowns by a QB receiver duo. Notice I said held, though. Past tense. Because Patrick Mahomes and Travis Kelsey passed them by hitting the magic number 16, surpassing that previous record of 15. Tom Brady took to Twitter to acknowledge. He said, beasts, when you one-up Gronk, you're doing something right. Uh, they also won up to you, Tom. Uh, Patrick Mahomes, 8-2 in the playoffs, went down 7-plus points, though, guys. And his two losses were to Tom Brady. So this was inevitable that we would get to this point where we're having conversations like this. But, like, what do we make of the Brady-Mahomes conversation? Who's the GOAT? Let's do it. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it, it is it is the basest form of sports talk radio there is, but I, it also is, I don't know, to me it's fun. Like, this was the same way I felt about LeBron James in the midway point of his career when it seemed like it was possible that we were going to have these Jordan comparison arguments, and I shouldn't even say midpoint in his career. I mean, I was in a locker room in 2011, and we were doing LeBron-Jordan debates every other day and just <clears throat> watching the place devolve into madness. But Charlotte, for someone that grew up obviously getting to watch the Brady run up close and personal in New England and what that meant, there is always something to me selfishly as a sports fan that I love about the excitement of knowing I have the potential to say that in my sports watching lifetime, when I was, you know, in the prime of my career watching this, I got to see the greatest person to ever <laughs> do their thing. And the notion that we could get someone this closely on the heels of what Tom Brady just did, who not only, I mean... Patrick Mahomes physically is a better quarterback than Tom Brady ever could have hoped to have been. If you were drafting on skill sets alone, they'd be nowhere close. And that was true for Brady and a lot of guys. But the fact that Pat is already stacking accomplishment early in his point in, in his career, Charlotte, to be able to be in this conversation to me is exciting. I don't know how you receive it as a new England Patriots fan. You know, honestly, Mike, I, when, when, Kelsey caught that touchdown and the announcers were like, oh, now they have more than Brady and Gronk. I did get a little emotional. And I, I think it's because I feel the exact same way you do. You know, I used to say like, oh, my God, we're so lucky to be able to watch Brady on this team. I'm so lucky that I can root for him as like the team I am a fan of. Also, I felt that way about LeBron. I remember in the 2016 finals watching LeBron play basketball being like holy cannoli to quote clay thompson uh we are so lucky that i'm so lucky to be alive when this guy is playing sports um and i sort of feel that way with with kelsey and i mean with mahomes and kelsey i think patrick mahomes watching the chiefs i had this very bizarre feeling the other night where i was like oh my god the patriots have been bad for four years now um I felt this weird, I don't know whether it's also because, you know, Taylor Swift and Travis Kelsey, but all of a sudden I was like, are the Chiefs my side piece team? Like, am oh. I into, like, am I into the Chiefs in a way that like I've been inceptioned because they've been so good in the way the Patriots were so good that A, I have to respect it and B, it's the team I watch the most because they have the most primetime games. Like, am I the kid in L.A. who's like, I'm a Patriots fan in 2009? Like, I, I had to stop myself for a second. Um, but I think it's crazy that we are, as you said, talking about this, um, the statistic of Patrick Mahomes. If he wins a Super Bowl, he will have the most playoff wins behind only Tom Brady and Joe Montana is the sort of thing where it's like, well, we never thought we'd say Brady, someone could do what Brady did. It felt out of reach. And then you watch a guy like Mahomes do this and you think, 
oh, okay. Well, I, he's still pretty young. Um, so we we shall see, guys. Um, I, do you feel any sort of fondness? I, I wonder, obviously, as broadcasters, that's not the point. But do you feel any sort of familiarity bias in your heart at all for these for these chiefs? I don't know if well, it's biased, Dad. Like, how 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 do you feel, Dad, as someone who's ingested yeah, far not more biased. football that was than Charlotte or I? Fondness. Yeah. Um. I. I listen. Uh, first off, let me say really quickly that we talked about Joe Montana. Terry Bradshaw won four Super Bowls as well. So let's not leave out the real old guy uh, as well. So I just wanted to give Terry his due as well. I. I think where we are with the Chiefs now is. They get the benefit of the doubt always in my eyes. It's like, are you going to pick? We pick, we both picked against the Chiefs uh, uh, for Buffalo, and I felt dirty doing it. And I've already felt dirty saying I think they're going to lose to Baltimore. And, and I'm waiting for myself to be wrong because they always find a way. And, and I know it's with Mahomes, but man, let's, how about hearing it for the boy? How about Andy Reid? This is Andy Reid's 11th championship game. Right, He had five in Philadelphia. Now, he lost in a Super Bowl there. One of the reasons he was gone, he couldn't win it. And this is his sixth in Kansas City. I mean, he's another walk-in Hall of Fame guy as well. But I, I think they're at the point, Mike, where they get the benefit of the doubt. Even though we're picking against them, I feel we're doing it because they always seem to find a way. I don't think they're going to do it this week. But it wouldn't, won't shock me if they do. And Tom Brady des deserves every comparison that he's getting right now to Tom Brady because it's always, well, it's Pat, so he's got a chance because of the way he plays. That's what, that's, you put it exactly right. I was watching the Chiefs, and I said, this is what it felt like to be a Patriots fan. It yes. felt like no matter what happens, Patrick Mahomes will find a way, the team will rally around him, and they will all do their part to make sure that they don't leave this game as losers. I had this flash of a moment where I was like, that's what I have missed watching. I think that's what I mean when I say fondness. Is this like the belief in the magic of what this team is doing and, and knowing you can't count them out? I think that's exactly right. And it's interesting how they got to that point too, right? Because they did the comparison yesterday on first take of Brady and Mahomes first seven years in the NFL. And both of them, three AFC titles, Brady had three Super Bowls to Pats two. Brady was 12 and two in the playoffs. Mahomes is 13 and three. Mahomes has two regular season MVPs. Brady had none at that point, And he's grossly outpaced him in yards and touchdowns because Pat had to come in and immediately be late career Brady, where the offense is the star yeah. of the show from 07 and beyond when all of a sudden they started actually churning out points and now Pat's getting to the point where they've tightened down the ship they used more 13 three tight end sets in their game on this past weekend in the divisional round than they did in any game this season they did a lot of that last year too but it's like the early Patriots where they could rely on defense to help out the quarterback there and offset some of what they didn't have on offense at that point and so Pat came in and immediately wowed us with all that which I think is also part of why people are so thirsty for Mahomes to be mentioned in that same vein is because 
it's easier to see it with him. Like Brady is giga what with what we've talked about with Brock Purdy and some of these guys. Brady's just the giga version of that where there's no meaningful physical skill. There's no extra effort play. There's not a thing you could point to other than ruthless efficiency, especially in clutch moments and in playoff moments for Tom Brady. Whereas Mahomes falls in that group of athlete like I've always described with Connor McDavid in the NHL, where I don't have to know a lot about the sport to know that guy's better at it than everybody else he's playing with. And with Pat, that's so much easier to see than even a guy like Tom Brady, who was so great for so long. So, Charlotte, I think one of the one of the differences could be now Andy Reid's 65. He's been coaching a long time is while Tom had to do it with a lot of different players. He had one coach. Pat may have to do it with a different coach to to go the level of Tom. Right. Unless unless Andy's going to coach until, you know, his early to mid 70s. Uh, that that might be one of the big differences between the two. Yeah, I think that that is probably, I mean, I would love to actually get into that. I know we're, the clock is ticking down here. I'd love to get into that a little bit more in the next segment because I, I had a thought that you guys made me, that you guys sparked in my head after last week about Belichick. But um, I do think that Mahomes hopefully will have, he's gotten the best coaching you can get. So doing it with someone else, maybe it's a situation where they might listen to him more than they might listen to another player or where he has the weight and experience to be like, no, actually, I think we should do it this way. And the coach will be like, OK, you're Patrick Mahomes. Um, I'm going to give what you say a little more weight and try not to impose my own will as much. And if they don't do that, they're probably maybe not the greatest coach and they shouldn't be coaching him. Yeah, it is a very interesting point that I think we can stick with is that is going to be the reality at some point. And it does make the conversation about both Andy Reid's place in NFL coaching history compared to a guy like Bill Belichick and Patrick Mahomes' comparison to a guy like Tom Brady as we continue to go down and develop his career and how accounting for that massive difference, who your partner is along the way and what it does for your overall trajectory. Whether you're hosting game day or movie night, DiGiorno knows that planning a watch party on a budget isn't easy. You need the perfect setting, the perfect squad, and the perfect eats. Luckily, you're a game time mastermind, and you know that grabbing DiGiorno classic crust pizza can bring home a dub because it's packed with half a pound of cheese, sauce, and other toppings and comes at an incredible price. Make the game-winning call and grab a DiGiorno classic crust pizza from the grocery store today. It's not delivery, it's DiGiorno. So we've evolved from just the Brady and Mahomes comparison to now considering them with their coaching counterparts and Andy Reid and Bill Belichick. Also in Charlotte, I know you wrote about uh, on your sub, sub stack, which everyone should make sure they check out as well, the wilderthings.substack, um, the relationship between coach and quarterback that for so long has been the subject of a lot of intrigue, especially in New England. And how interesting it is to kind of use that as a compare contrast with Andy and Patrick Mahomes, because like we said, at some point, Pat's going to have to do this without Andy based on where he's at in his coaching career. So we're going to find out what he looks like without that particular context around him in a way that we already know about Andy Reid because of what he did in his time in Philadelphia, where he didn't win a Super Bowl before straight NFC titles and appearance in the Super Bowl is pretty damn impressive and an overwhelming success at another completely different team in another completely different circumstance. So 
in a weird way, Andy Reid and Tom Brady have a lot in common in that regard because they have both answered the question about what they look like away from the success of the other person that they've been tied to in a way that now Bill Belichick might find out soon and Patrick Mahomes is going to eventually in a way that's very intriguing to me. I think that's true, Mike. I think also with Patrick Mahomes, his raw athleticism gives him more of the benefit of the doubt than I think that Brady or Belichick got because those two were kind of on the same level in terms of ruthless accuracy. As you said earlier, Bill would come up with these crazy game plans and his defense was always, I mean, they don't win Super Bowl, the Super Bowl in 2019 if it's not for Bill's defense, but Brady is obviously, as Bill Barnwell wrote this great piece in ESPN about how you, of course, Bill deserves some of the success or credit for the success. But when it was when you senior, you said, you know, Bill wants to keep coaching to catch up to Don Shula's record. Um, It made me think, I actually feel like he probably wants to keep coaching to prove he can do this without Brady. I think that he really uh, muffed an opportunity to do that in New England. I don't, if, if Belichick had won a Super Bowl without Tom Brady in New England, I do not think he would still be coaching. I mm. think that there is an element of this that he wants to prove that he can do this without Brady. And I think that Bill is such an enigma that it might not even be a conversation about his legacy or about how we all remember him. I feel like he might want to prove it to himself. He might want to be like, hey, I can do that. I know that I can do this without a quarterback who's the greatest of all time. I need to go somewhere else to prove that. I think that he would do well to not be the GM of the team where he tries to do that, even though that worked for a long time for him. Um, But it was interesting when I, I started thinking about it of the pieces that he may or may not need and why he might continue coaching and going to somewhere completely new in a way that I think Mahomes has that ability, that freakish ability we talked about earlier with like Victor Wembanyama, where he can make a throw with his eyes closed behind his back. You can't see that in a coach the way you can in an athlete. And I feel like that might be a driving factor here. Now I'm not in Bill's head, but it, it made me think that that's probably part of what's going on here. Oh, I, I agree because, you know, they're human beings. And you you saw Tom went away from Bill, but Bill not went away from Tom. The one thing I may disagree on, Charlotte, even if he won a Super Bowl without Tom, I think he wants Don Shula's record. Uh, you know, he's so close to it. I mean, there's 15 wins and he's going to go down as the greatest coach anyway. So I, I, I think in a, on a personal note, I think he that's a record that he would like to get. While proving he can win without Tom, I think that was a big thing right out of the gate since Tom won a Super Bowl not long after leaving Bill. I do think Bill would like to get Don's record. Yeah, I, I think yeah. there's absolutely that part in there as well, uh, baked into a lot of this. But it, it does, I, I think, make a lot of these barbershop arguments a little bit more fun when now we're going to get a look at this the same way we were so excited to see Brady leave. And I, I think we've made a lot of NBA comparisons to all of these guys in the midst of this. And certainly with the notion that Pat might have to do it without his partner in Andy Reid, the way that Tom Brady was able to stick with one team for so long, it is very LeBron and Jordan-esque. I saw Bamani Jones make the comparison yesterday and I think it's more apt here that Patrick Mahomes and Tom Brady is more Tiger Woods to Jack Nicklaus than it is to anything else in sports where even if Mm -hmm. 
Pat doesn't catch Tom Brady in overall titles, there's going to be a lot of people that if he's close enough are going to look and say, yeah, we believe based on what we see, that guy is clearly the better football player. And we'd be pretty comfortable saying it much the same way that people have been with Tiger. I realize as we've been going along, we've been doing a lot of numbers. And I'd imagine somewhere Mike Wilbon is very ticked off about that right now. <laughs> Did you guys see a lovely newest installment of Mike Wilbon's war against analytics yesterday on PTI? I think we have the sound here, but coming off a weekend where we saw Todd Bowles go for two in a very unique spot and some of the normal math around football that's crept in, get into the TV screens in the divisional round weekend. Mike Wilbon on PTI yesterday got very, very upset at the mere thought. Don't start me with the two point conversions and the analytics say go for it. Do the analytics say go for it no matter who's going for it? So if you and I were on the field, the analytics say go for it. It's the stupidest, laziest, lamest thing I've ever heard for reasoning in competition. And I hate when announcers just buy it without questioning it. Wow. I, now, I enjoy the irony of the fact that Mike Wilbon, who clearly has not asked any of the analytics people at ESPN about an explanation of what will go into this, calling the coaches using this strategy that their jobs depend on lazy. I do think part of that is hilarious. I also, Dad, wonder from your perspective, because you are much closer to being peers with Mike Wilbon than either of us are, of how you kind of view this rejection of modern football and the things that come with it from one of the guys that's been at at the helm of the sports industry for a really long time. Listen, he said he said the analytics say go for it, but that doesn't mean you have to go for it. I mean, there, you know, people talk about analytics, especially in football, uh, as being this big thing. Now, there were analytics when I played, and analytics before I played. We got game plans every week, which told us whatever down and down in distance what a team was going to run, the percentages of them running to the right or to the left, of pass, of run. I mean, that was all broken down. That's analytics, is it not? I mean, it's numbers in a sport. It's numbers in football. And that's where, because I was an average athlete, I had to digest that. I had to know it's third and seven plus. Okay, I know they're in this formation X amount of times, this formation, this percentage of times, and then they're in that formation, this percentage of time. There's a good chance they're going to run one of three different plays from this. This was all going on. This is nothing new. This is stuff that we had to know and digest to help give us an advantage. It wasn't a marker that said it's exactly going to happen. It's just numbers that say these are what our numbers say in watching this team on what we think is going to happen. Does it always happen? No. That's why I don't, I don't mind. You know, we hear it in baseball as well. At times, a manager gets criticized for going with his gut. Charlotte, it doesn't have to be one or the other. You can do, you can have all the numbers at your disposal and still say, okay, I get that number, but the way this game is going today, I'm going to kick the, the extra point instead of going for the two-point conversion. So I don't mind people saying the analytics say because my game plan would say there's a high percentage this is going to be this play, but that still doesn't mean I think they might go somewhere else. So I don't mind the analytics. It doesn't mean you have to follow them all the time. Well, I think the place that analytics get a bad rap is they're called analytics and they're not called information and probability. Yes. Basically, numbers are just a different way of saying, here's what can happen sometimes. Here's what can happen other times. Mina Kimes obviously had a great uh, TikTok and reel on Instagram talking about why people do this and how there's from the over the last 
eight years or so, it's up 30% from what it was in terms of going for two when you need eight points. And it's just math. She was like, it's just how it adds up. You can do right. it or you cannot do it. And I think that the analytics needs to be rebranded as information. And then I think a lot of these arguments might go away. It's decision science. And to dad's point, it's all about what gives us the best chance to win. And I'm constantly amazed in the most hyper-aggressive sport that we have that so many people would rather take the conservative option that strings the game out and basically says, we hope something good will eventually happen. When what we're talking about, fourth and one decisions, two-point decisions are saying, you got two or one yards to go to your goal that gives you a chance to win. Make a play. That seems to me the most football thing ever, and instead we've outsourced it to the nerds. <laughs> DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL playoffs, is bringing you an offer that'll make these playoffs electrifying. New customers can bet 5 bucks on any game and get 200 instantly in bonus bets. DraftKings Sportsbook has you covered on all the lines, odds, and prop bets for all of the upcoming weekend's conference championship games in the NFL. Do any of us really have the guts to pick against Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs still at this point? Three and a half point dogs on the road once again, heading to the one seed Baltimore Ravens. God help us all. Download DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use code GOJO. New customers, you can bet just 5 bucks to get 200 instantly in bonus bets. Only on DraftKings Sportsbook with code GOJO. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. That's 467-369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas, 21 plus, age varies by jurisdiction, void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com football for eligibility and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. All right, guys, time to finish off the show the way we always do. This, that, the third, three quick stories to send you off into your rest of your day. As always, make sure you download, subscribe, rate, review. Leave us a five-star rating and try and check us out here live if you can, Monday through Friday, 8 to 10 a.m. Eastern on the DraftKingsNetwork.com, the YouTube channel, Samsung TV Plus, and more. You can also catch Oddball with Charlotte Wilder and Amin El Hassan in those said same spots uh, here on the DraftKings Network as well. Not at the same time, but on the same network. <laughs> you get the gist. And wherever you get your podcast, you can download, subscribe, rate, review them both if you miss any of them in real time. Our thanks to Charlotte Wilder for joining us today on a Tuesday, on a Tuesday, not a Wilder Wednesday, uh, as we've noted there. But guys, let's get to this, that, and the third today. And start off with this, Charlotte, we didn't get a chance to talk about all the Taylor Swift and Jason Kelsey of the game over the weekend between the Chiefs and the Bills, which was incredible, as was the Taylor Swift subreddit that started making its way over to Twitter during a lot of the game where the diehard Taylor Swift fans, the kind of subject that might not have been NFL fans before, were all digesting the game for the first time. And some of them, like uh, SoCal Fat Chick saying, I feel like I want to cry and puke and also like I can't breathe. I'm assuming this is fairly <laughs> normal for this kind of game. Uh, Pageant Trella says, what is a touchback in all caps? And then at some point, someone, I think, tried to cut Nicole Hardman, which is where NFL Twitter realized that we are not all that different from our Swifty counterparts. So, Charlotte, what was your experience like watching worlds collide in this game and also a shirtless Jason Kelsey parachuting into it? 
Oh my God, I loved it. I was like, I need replays though. I need replays of the booth, the way, you know how you get replays of a game in slow motion. I know that sometimes they'll toss to that going to commercial, but I need it right after they show it. I need them to show Taylor and Jason and Kylie in the back. Shout out Kylie Kelsey. Could not have been more excited to see her there. Um, I also, it was the first time I tweeted in a while and I had a tweet go viral because of Jason Kelsey. So I just want to say thank you for your service. (laughs) Taking your ah. shirt off, holding the tiny beer, everybody won. Everybody won. Everybody won in this. And I love it so much when the football fanatics get mad when they show Taylor Swift. It's just so ridiculous. But I'll ask this question to you, whoever wants to jump in on this one first. Is this, because we know a lot of the Taylor Swift fans, the women who are tweeting, I'm so lost, what's a touchback? Now we're getting into football because of this. Is this good or bad for their their better halves? So say guys love to get together and watch the game. Now all of a sudden, their wife or girlfriend who's a Swifty and could care less about football wants to say, hey, 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 honey, I'd like to watch the game with you. Or can I go watch the game with you with the guys? Where all of a sudden it's like you have a lot of knowledge of the game. Someone sits there with no knowledge of the game. How was that for you? It reminds me of the Everybody Loves Raymond episode when Ray, who is a big-time golfer, goes golfing and his wife thinks they don't spend enough time together. She knows nothing about golf and goes golf with them, golfing with them, and they just basically argue and butt heads the whole time. You wonder, is this hurting overall, that relationship, because guys are used to watching it by themselves. Now they want their girlfriends or their wives want to watch it, but don't really understand the game. It is That's all I'm good asking. for healthy relationships, bad for toxic relationships. And ladies, maybe this is how you weed out that you're in a toxic relationship. Your man doesn't <laughs> want to watch football with you. He doesn't want to explain the rules. He doesn't want you to come along with the boys. Then maybe you shouldn't be dating him. Wow. The only way that I think it's bad is when men who are dumb realize that they're significant others, also maybe women whose husbands get into it because of this, um, realize that the people who are the newcomers to the game are catching on more quickly and actually have better takes than the people who've been there the whole time. Ooh. Yeah, I think this is a good reminder uh, uh, that'll be humbling for a lot of guys out there who believe that they're Vince freaking Lombardi sitting there watching games with their <laughs> friends and that none of this is actually that inaccessible and we should never be gatekeeping to begin with. So as usual, welcome to our new Swifty friends. Obviously, a lot of you have been here already because there are a ton of crossover Swifty NFL fans like the ones all sitting in this chat on this podcast, but did make for some great content here. And uh, Jason Kelsey should keep taking his shirt off. True quality because I saw people actually pushing back on Jason. Jason Kelsey hogging airtime during that Bills game mm-hmm. in a way people have been accusing Taylor Swift of. So maybe we are finally like arriving that. at something resembling balance Equality. in society. <laughs> uh, well, uh, maybe th- I should say that balance in society, and then I'm going to lead into our next story, Jesse. Let's get to that about the theft of what apparently is now the most precious commodity in America. Yeah, just kidding. Society is a mess. Um, so <laughs> on, on January 17th in Roseville, California, a 23-year-old woman stole 65 Stanley Cups. Now, <clears throat> that comes into... $2,500 worth of merch, which as you can see, the cops have lined up like this is the drug bust of the century. You see all the Stanleys right there. I mean, guys, Stanley Cup fever is hitting new highs. I feel like the market, they're not even marketing this cup. It's just the marketing is taking care of itself with the crime. 
I did a, a thing on, on Pablo Torre finds out about the Stanley Cups. There actually was a behind the scenes intense marketing effort with influencers and Stanley who came together and the influencers convinced Stanley to sell the cups in the first place. They weren't doing well in 2019. And these three women of the buy guide um, were like, hey, sell, get, let us sell them and they'll sell out. Let us do an influencer marketing program. And now we're here. So it was a little behind the scenes stuff going on. Check out that episode. Shout out to the woman who saw an opportunity to make some money. Maybe shouldn't break the law, but I sort of think it's a little bit metal. Yeah, I actually, now that you've said that, I am realizing like mom influencers too definitely been pushing the Stanley. Once it hits all the Utah moms, it's off the shelves. It's gone. All, all, all I have to say is the Stanley Cup, the company making these cups does not have to spend a dime marketing. Not one dime. Nothing. Not, not anymore. It, not all anymore their cups now. Are out they did there. then. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, nothing now. Honestly, the biggest losers in this marketing wise are the fact that now when I hear Stanley Cup, I no longer think of hockey. Like they have yeah. totally come in and trounced this in the public light. And the fact that hockey has not done a meaningful partnership, at least to my mind, because as the biggest casual, I have not seen it rise to the levels of society that I would normally consume. I don't know what the NHL is doing because this is a layup in terms of the potential crossover totally. here for your brand to be aligned with now something that is ubiquitous across society in these damn cups that are getting resold on StockX. Like the same pace as people are trying to flip Jordans, people are now trying to flip these Stanley Cups and sell them to other people so much so that you got guys cop in cop uniforms treating them like they're kilos of cocaine. That is one of the most <laughs> incredible pictures I've ever seen. So... Shout out to the lady for trying to go ahead and flip that thing and make a buck. I'll be interested to see if like when people used to do in like cop movies where some of the crooked police officers would steal yes. confiscated drugs. Yeah. If people yeah. are going to be taking confiscated scan Stanley's home and trying to basically win Christmas. Depends we on the wait. color. Yeah, that is, that is true. <laughs> the color and the crossover. Uh, Speaking of that, uh, let's get to the third. Uh, you talked about something being metal, Charlotte, in the good sense. Let's talk about some bad metal gone wrong in a plane, Jesse. Yeah, speaking of reasons you might need to call the cops, um, a New York-bound Virgin Atlantic flight was canceled moments before takeoff last week when an alarmed passenger said he spotted several screws missing from the plane's wing. Engineers were called. They carried out maintenance checks. Turns out, yep, sure was missing some screws, so it didn't take off. You guys, this story blows my mind. The plane would have taken off if the passenger wasn't like, hey, does it look like there might be something wrong with the wing? Is that why you're supposed to keep the windows open during takeoff and landing so you can look for a problem? Uh, I just want to say, as someone who is getting on a plane this afternoon, I feel great right now. I mean, keep uh, your window you. open, check out the wings when you're getting on. Maybe it would have been I okay. Mean, Maybe it was like screws that don't matter that much. They did I, say I there's like 119 of those screws, and so that it actually would have been fine without them, according to the airline people, who I'm sure want to make you believe that right now. <laughs> oh, it's exactly right. I mean, anytime our flight is delayed or canceled or something, a lot of times you never know if you're getting the right reason for it. But if you look out at the wing and see, so I don't care if there's 119 screws and three are missing. They're supposed to be there. And this is on a projectile that's in the air full of fuel. I mean, so I'm going to be like, okay, I'm cool with holding off on this flight till we get somebody out there, you know, with a screwdriver getting these, you know, bolts back in or whatever that it takes to get it on there. I ain't messing around with that. I'll text you guys when I land today. Yeah, check yeah, in. Please. Yeah, please. 
make sure you walk around the plane like it's a rental car yeah. checking yes. for dings before you yes. get in and ride this thing. If you enjoyed the ride with us, make sure you download, subscribe, rate, review. Thanks so much. We'll talk to you guys tomorrow. once then you do a mm -hmm. missing two-point play twice like that's what it comes down to and I, if your goal is to win the game because you have like a 41 percent chance of winning if you get to overtime you're giving yourself a better chance of winning by going for it the first time and then you know and then you know either we're kicking a field goal to win it later on or we got to go for two again and we can get our best play ready to go for that end round yeah, I, 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 I'm with you on the information I had to kick the extra point then there's always the the question of at what point in the game do you chase the point, right? First quarter, second quarter, third quarter, fourth quarter. Same information. That's the thing about it. Numbers don't change because of the time of the game. Numbers are still the numbers. No, they don't. Right? They would say you go for it in a lot of those right. situations, right. especially like exactly. when you end up down five in certain spots like that. Yep. But I don't know. I, I always look at it, too, as like, really like even if you're so there's uh, the new york times did an article where there's a correlation of teams that aren't good offenses obviously convert two-point conversions at a higher rate now some teams like the 49ers don't tend to run like the kyle shannon didn't attempt a two-point play during the regular season at all because right. at his core he's his father's son and he's a hyper conservative yeah. old man young football coach but yeah. for a lot of the other teams, the top offenses converted a really high level for two-point conversions. And so why wouldn't you want an easy shot at the end zone when you're two yards out? But if you're a bad team too, the thought process should be, I don't get a lot of cracks at the end zone because we suck at offense. So why wouldn't I take my best chance as close right now? Because getting to overtime as the bad team does not serve me. That's something that I think has been traditionally football is, yeah, there's a reason bad underdogs on the road try and go... Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware.